Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and from around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. I'm a real estate broker during the daytime with Halstead Real Estate, but Rediscovering New York is not a program about real estate. It's about New York City's extraordinary neighborhoods and their amazing history. On most programs, we do focus on a particular neighborhood, exploring its past and its present, its history, and its current energy, texture, and vibe. What makes that New York neighborhood special? And we do it through interviews with urban historians, preservationists, local business owners, nonprofits, artists, and interesting neighborhood personalities. Sometimes I host a show about an interesting part of the city or theme about New York and its history that's not about one particular neighborhood. Uh, If you've listened regularly, you'll know that some of my past shows have included a history of U.S. presidents who came or lived in New York. I did an episode on the history of the women's suffrage movement in Brooklyn, which until 1898 was its own city. Uh, The history of Irish immigrants who came to New York. And the last episode we had was an episode on the history of bicycles and cycling. They're all on podcast, by the way. In the future, we may journey to some of the city's parks or an age of a particular social or political movement or musical genre or a unique or a unique New York cultural phenomenon uh, like Rockefeller Center. And each show is available on archive and podcast the day after the show airs. You can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and Stitcher, as well as the archive right here on talkradio.nyc. Today, we're taking a special trip uh, on New York's oldest regular ferry service to Staten Island Ferry to St. George, Staten Island. Yes. It's our first episode of Staten Island. And the yes you hear is for our special consultant and returning guest, David Griffin. David is a lifelong architectural enthusiast providing creative sales enhancing services for the natural real estate community. Founder and CEO of Landmark Branding, his clients include architects and design firms in addition to developers, brokers, and marketing companies. His Room at the Top series, co-hosted with Jennifer Wallace of Nascent Art New York, and which I've been lucky enough to attend, is the only ongoing networking series in real estate to feature tours of Manhattan's greatest buildings. David's writing has appeared in Real Estate Weekly, Metropolis, Dwell, and the National Trust's Preservation Magazine. And we are so happy to welcome David Griffin back to Rediscovering New York. Welcome, David. Yes, thank you for having me again, Jeff. It's always a pleasure to see you. For our listeners who may not have heard you on a a prior episode, how did you get interested in architectural history and in New York in particular? Well, I remember being interested in older buildings since I was um, a small child. Uh, My brother and my two sisters and myself were actually the first children to be hired through New York State's Museum Docents Program and appear as costumed interpreters at a historic museum, in this case, Old Bethpage out in Long Island. Um, Every year there would be a 1860s fair, and we would dress up in the the costumes and clothing of that time, play with period toys, and explain what the lives of children were like. Uh, We also had a chance to actually, during that time period, sort of camp out in some of the houses that were a part of the museum or part of the museum's collection. And it was very interesting to kind of learn more about them as I was a kid. So moving forward, I became interested in the history of American architecture, studied it extensively at college, and then began to write as a freelancer while I was also pursuing a job as an arts consultant. Hmm. We'll talk a little bit about landmark branding in, in, in our second segment. Um, St. George, uh, Staten Island always seems like the last borough to have been developed as part of the city. Um, This episode is on the neighborhood of St. George, but since this is our first show about a neighborhood in the borough, 
Uh, and St. George is, for all intents and purposes, the capital of Staten Island. I've always thought mm. of it as the capital of Staten Island. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about the borough as a whole. Um, I want to go back briefly to Revolutionary War history. There was a lot of Revolutionary War history in Manhattan and Brooklyn, uh, but there was also some in Staten Island. Yes, uh, Fort Hill, which is still a district adjacent to St. George, now a, a residential district. Uh, it's one of the hills overlooking the harbor and was the location on what was called Duxbury's Point, um, also spelled Duxbury, like the bird, uh, was fortified by the British during the American Revolutionary War. And did it see any action or uh, was it just occupied? I, I'm not entirely sure. Okay, okay. I thought it was just, I think it was just, uh, occupied. When the British sailed in in the summer of exactly. 1776, they just occupied it. Um, something I've always found funny about uh, the name St. George was I always thought it was actually named after uh, the flag of England, which is named, which is the cross of St. George. Uh, but it's not, is it? it this is it, different. It isn't. And, you know, given the fact that it was a British uh, redoubt during the Revolution, you could see them naming it St. George for that. Uh, but uh, the name is derived not from the famous dragon-slaying saint, also the patron saint of England, uh, but from George Law, a developer who acquired rights to the waterfront, uh, really at low prices. Um, according to island historians, um, it, it was only named after it was named only after another prominent businessman whose name was Erastus Wyman, promised to quote unquote canonize him in the town's name. That law agreed to relinquish the land rights for a ferry terminal. So in the late 1880s, Wyman operated the Staten Island Amusement Company in the neighborhood. That um, offered things like a public athletic events, an illuminated fountain, pageants. There are actually paintings from the late period, late 19th century, that show this. And I think he was trying to develop it as a arrival to Coney Island, the larger and somewhat more well-known Brooklyn establishment at the time. Um, it didn't last, but that is where the the, the name of the town, St. George, comes from. It comes from the the d d desire to develop that as an amusement arcade. Of course, you could get to Coney Island and the famed, the more uh, upper uh, uh, market, Manhattan Beach, uh, by the Coney Island Railway. But Staten Island, you actually had to get there by boat. Um, part of Staten Island near present-day St. George was actually a fashionable resort area in the 19th century, wasn't it? Yes, which uh, also sort of segued into the amusement park uh, sort of era. In the 1830s area facing what's uh, what's called the Kill Van Cole, Kill being the Dutch word for brook, became a fashionable resort area. There and the Kill Van Cole is between uh, Bayonne and Staten Island. Yes. To be differentiated mm -hmm. from the Arthur Kill, which is on the western exactly. coast of Staten Island. Exactly. So there were several elegant hotels that were built along St. Mark's Place across from the present site of what's now the Curtis High School, which is the oldest high school on Staten Island. Um, the grandest and the last of these hotels was the Hotel Castleton, which was built in 1889 and destroyed by fire in 1907, uh, which sort of began to close out the, the resort area because at that time, 1907, the ferry that we all know was um, in operation, had been so, uh, for several years. And the entire area is becoming developed more as a residential area. So um, permanent residents, people who are commuting into lower Manhattan, just as they did from Brooklyn Heights, which also had a ferry at that time. And the idea of this as a kind of a remote resort faded rapidly from public view. Did that happen after Staten Island became part of New York in 1898? Uh, yes, yeah. yes. The, the hotel... Um, do you mean the, the burning of the hotel or the development of the ferry? No, the uh, the actual when it became more of a res when a residential yes, community yes. developed. Yeah, 
that that all came in the wake of the ferry, which was um, started in 1905. The historic ferry terminal building that is still extant at the foot of Manhattan uh, dates from that period to 1912. Oh, which is now uh, the one that's used for Governor's Island? Was that? Uh, yes, that was that the original, was the original Staten, Staten Staten Island ferry terminal. Oh. So. Before the city opened the Staten Island Ferry under its own flag, there were private ferry companies that plied the waters. Uh, yes, there were. Okay. I suppose then Staten Island became part of uh, uh, the city. The city uh, developed transportation. Yes. Uh, this is before bridges. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking that a lot of the government district and business center developed after Staten Island became part of New York City. And, of course, that would have been in St. George with the, with the ferry terminal. Yes, Borough Hall is one of the most um, sort of architecturally distinguished buildings on Staten Island. And it is by uh, Career and Hastings, who did the New York Public Library. Uh, the cornerstone was laid in 1906, so just the year right after the ferry service starts. The government center begins to develop at St. George because there was every indication that they felt that the island might achieve a density at least comparable with that of the Brooklyn areas that faced New York Harbor. Mm. And do you know when the courthouse was built? Was it built around the same time? Around the same time, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, There were prominent people who lived in Staten Island or who owned real estate there around the time that it became part of the city. Uh, Yes, the uh, former New York State Governor Daniel D. Tompkins uh, lived there. He had a, a very large mansion which no longer exists. Um, August Belmont is enshrined in Belmont Place. Uh, he's the, you know a little bit about Belmont. Yes, uh, August Belmont actually was head of the company that built the original New York City subway, mm. the, which we then knew as the IRT, which only older of us knows the IRT. Younger New I, Yorkers don't remember, don't know what the, you say IRT, IND and BMT, and they don't right, know what exactly. you're talking about. Right? Uh, it's ironic that Belmont would live in the only borough in New York City that does not have a subway. <laughs> Maybe he didn't really believe in his uh, project that much. <laughs> but he had a private subway car. That's true. Yes. And his office, uh, I forgot the name of the hotel, but it was across from Grand Central. It's where the Philip Morris, what became the Philip Morris building. Yes. That was for a while, I also believe, known as the United Airline uh, building. And that was a, uh, a terminal where one could purchase tickets. Uh, mm. But, uh, of course, we're getting away from Staten Island. Yes. Here, so. Well, uh, August Belmont. Um, uh, <laughs> actually, his his name, did Belmont Park is named for... Belmont Stakes. Bel- yeah, yes. that too. Mm. And also uh, part of the Bronx. There's places in the Bronx that are mm. named Belmont. Mm. We, we covered that on a show on Kingsbridge. Um, were there any other interesting uh, personalities who lived there around this time? There was a, there were several people. Um, uh, for example, there was a, a, the famous uh, photographer, um, Alice... Austin, uh, whose cottage still stands. Um, actually, it's one of the oldest houses on Staten Island. It's an old Dutch colonial house, which is now a museum open to the public. And um, it's also, uh, the Staten Island is also the location of a house that was inhabited for a brief time by Henry Hobson Richardson, who then designed a house on the island for a client. And Henry Hobson Richardson is one of the most famous architects of the 19th century in the United States, and uh, one who is underrepresented in New York. We only have one building by him in the entire city, and it does happen to be this very charming mansarded house in Staten Island. You know, it's it's interesting you mentioned that, David. Um, many New Yorkers, especially those who are not familiar with Staten Island, um, have a particular view of the borough. Uh, but a lot of New Yorkers haven't been to Staten Island or have been through it on the on, on the bridge in I in I two seventy eight. 
But there are real gems of architecture, including single-family homes. Is uh, like a, a home built in the style of the Spanish castle. Yes, yes. The um, the Fort Hill neighborhood is a very well-preserved enclave of Victorian and craftsman homes, including the castle-like home uh, developed, I believe, in the early 1920s, which really has kind of a Hollywood look to it. And then St. George itself uh, incorporates a large uh, historic district, and there are many buildings there, uh, houses that were designed by an architect named Edward Sargent. And Edward Sargent was a proponent of the shingle style, which is a precursor to the works of architects such as Frank Lloyd Wright. It involved what was called the open plan, where rooms kind of feed off of one another. Staircases are incorporated into main living areas. And the exteriors of houses have a very organic and very natural look. They look almost as if they're growing out of the ground. So there are several houses there that are quite spectacular. Um, up and down uh, the streets of St. George, close to the water, there's about a dozen houses by Sargent, and they represent the largest collection of shingle-style buildings, um, definitely on Staten Island, and possibly the second largest in New York City after a group of houses that are in Ditmas Park in Brooklyn. Oh, wow. What, was there something about something about St. George, uh, having uh, uh, my uh, sister-in-law and, and brother-in-law used to live in St. George, um, something about the hills that's a little reminiscent to me about San Francisco. I mean, they're not this, uh, uh, the hills aren't as steep, but, but there are lots of streets that go down toward the water. And yes. you have houses that are built sort of multi-level on, the, on those hills. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, uh, one thing about the, the romantic styles and also the shingle style was that they were often designed as um, uh, for sites that then address the waterfront. So you see a lot of them, for example, north of Boston. There's a very co famous collection of them. And St. George does have that wonderful kind of unexpected craggy feeling to it where the mm. houses kind of rise up behind each other and you really have a chance to take in uh, the spectacular views, of course, which have grown even more so with the development of Manhattan. Mm. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with David Griffin. Be right back. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, The Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Who do you want to connect with? Are you an entrepreneur or intrapreneur looking to build your following? Welcome to our show. Follow, Follow Me Friday, Friday with Joan and Priya. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern on talkradio.nyc. We're, We're your, your digital, digital connectors. connectors. Woo woo! <laughs> <laughs> Talking Alternative Radio. 24 hours a day.
We're back to Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman and our first guest, David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Uh, David, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about Landmark Branding and, and what your company does? Sure thing. Uh, so, Jeff, uh, Landmark Branding is a company that I founded in uh, 2013, and I provide marketing and uh, PR support to the developers, realtors, and owners of both historic buildings and architecturally distinguished new builds. Um, so I've worked with architects, I've worked with engineers, worked with numerous re real estate firms, and I put together everything from VIP tours to websites information, bios, assist with PR for specific projects, bullet points, that type of thing. I do walking tours, and with uh, Jennifer Wallace, as you mentioned, um, I, uh, who is of Nascent Art New York, we do Room at the Top, which is a series of tours of historic skyscrapers. So we go into the buildings, we take a look at the lobbies, we go as far up into them as possible, and then we have as much champagne as we possibly can. Yeah. So and I very much appreciate being on your invitation list for that, for that they're, event series. They're a great series. I love doing yeah. those. So. And your website is? Uh, landmarkbranding.com. And I have a blog that actually is just coming to the end of the original brief. It's called Every Building on Fifth. It is a... Uh, tiny entry and a uh, photo of every single building on Fifth Avenue. And this Friday, the last building on Fifth Avenue, the Harlem Armory, will be featured. And then I'm going to be revisiting certain buildings that are either being renovated, restored, or demolished. And so you see what additions are going to be made to the street. So you must have uh, row houses up where I live. I live on Madison and 130th, so they're yes, covering every business. Yes, there's, there's <coughs> quite, quite, a, quite an amazing uh, collection of row houses in Harlem that uh, many people don't know about but are architecturally intact from the 1880s onwards. Wow, I'll have to, I'll have to read it. Uh, you know, I did want to uh, mention something about the ferry. Um, uh, for those of you who've never experienced it, the, the Staten Island Ferry is probably the best deal <laughs> as far as entertainment oh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and fun in New York. It's free. Mm -hmm. It runs frequently. And uh, even when the weather is bad, it, uh, you know, the, it, it gives a very interesting vantage point of many, many different parts of New York. And the views change as you go along. A 20-minute ride, it's amazing the different, it, uh, different views you get of different islands, different, different cityscapes. It really is spectacular. It's one of those things that you know, is also, it takes on... Um, a kind of a fresh look with every season, every month, every kind of gradient of weather. In hot weather, it's a mar it's a marvelous way to kind of get out to the middle of the harbor and cool down. You get the breeze that's coming off the ocean. Um, the boats themselves are quite amazing. And now that you know St. George is undergoing this incredible revitalization, I see it as much more of a sort of a destination in its own way as well. So, um, you know, it's not just taking the ferry in order to kind of see the beauty of the harbor. It's also taking it now to explore uh, a neighborhood of New York that I think is really coming into its own again after a long period of time. Yeah, so uh, those of you who are thinking about taking the ferry who haven't, don't just get off and walk around and take it back. Uh, uh, hang out in St. George for a little while. It's well worth the trip. You know, one thing I actually love about the ferry, this little engineering uh, uh, bug I have, is I love standing on the lower level in the back <laughs> by mm. the propellers. It's uh, it's quite exciting. And then to see actually Manhattan in the distance getting smaller and smaller yes. and getting the escape and also yes. being down on the water level. It's, it's very exciting. Um, getting back to St. George and uh, on Staten Island, uh, there's a little bit of fun old telephone company history, uh, isn't there? Yes. In 1924, the St. George Telephone Exchange was established in uh, New North Staten Island, uh, the new building rather, of the New York Telephone. It's one of the island's five such exchanges, and it became known as capital S-A, St. George 7, 
when New York City service underwent a major upgrade six years later. This three-digit prefix, identified by the number 727, in other words, SA7, is the last of the five pre-upgrade exchanges still in service. Um, so in addition to St. George itself, this numeric designation is encountered in some of the other North Shore communities, uh, Mariner's Harbor to the west, South Beach and Grasmere to the south. Well, I remember, you know, when I was growing up, I'm 58, I remember the days when New York just had one area code and mm -hmm. people still referred to exchanges, Nightingale 6, you know. Butterfield 8. Butterfield 8, exactly. Pennsylvania Station, 6,000. <laughs> exactly. Those were the days, right? Um, we're going to talk about, in the second half of the show, we have two special guests who are going to talk about a uh, uh, cultural institution in Staten Island, uh, the St. George Theater, but I wanted to talk to you, David, about the National Lighthouse Museum. Um, when did the Lighthouse Museum actually open? And is it in a lighthouse? Uh, it incorporates the Lighthouse Depot, and uh, uh, the uh, lighthouse itself was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1978. So it's the United States Lighthouse Depot Complex and the uh, office building. And um, the museum has now been open for several years, but prior to that it was um, a landmark that was uh, one of the most prominent naval landmarks in New York City Harbor. I think it's the only museum of lighthouses. I mean, there are other museums, maritime museums, that have a little bit about lighthouses, but this is like the... Lighthouse Museum, the National I, Lighthouse Museum. There are um, other lighthouses that are open to the public as museums throughout the country, but this may be the only one that goes into the development of lighthouses as a actual subject. Ah, okay. Well, we, any discussion of St. George would not be complete without talking about a very important institution, which is not quite in St. George, but is right next door, Snug Harbor. Yes, what was, well, there is now, but what was Snug Harbor originally? Uh, Snug Harbor was actually founded through the bequest of a Revolutionary War soldier. It's one of the oldest uh, continuously operating charities in the United States. Um, uh, his name was uh, Captain Robert Richard Randall, um, namesake of a nearby neighborhood in Staten Island, Randall Manor. Randall left his country estate, which was actually in Manhattan, bounded by Fifth Avenue, Broadway, 10th Street, and the southern side of 8th Street, adjacent to New Washington Square, to build an institution to care for, quote, aged, decrepit, and worn-out seamen. So uh, this was actually quite a, an interesting sort of idea that they would build a home for uh, seamen who were elderly or perhaps convalescent or had been injured in some way. Uh, the thing was that by the time they had sorted out the various legal kinks in the cycle, that particular plot of a, a property was worth so much, they decided, let's develop it, and then we'll, f we'll choose another location elsewhere. And they decided on And that's Staten when all the row houses, like on the yes, northern side of the park, and the, the muse. The northern sort of, side of, yeah, of Washington Square, Square belonged to this gentleman. And actually, that's where the, the setting of the Henry James novel, Washington Square, which was turned into the famous Olivia de Havilland film, The Heiress, all takes place in a house that, that helped finance Snug Harbor. So the Snug Harbor setting was chosen because it was thought salubrious to be facing the ocean, but not the direct ocean. So you didn't get, you didn't get a, um, a strong cold wind. You were somewhat protected, but you were still getting what they thought were healthful airs and breezes from the water. Uh, it really is actually a very beautiful location. And the Greek Revival complex was built in from the um, late 1820s through the 1830s, uh, now comprising, of course, five major episodes of Greek Revival architecture and several other um, anterior buildings and support structures. 
even before it was built, though, it had a history of legal entanglement involving some of the property and some of the money. Yes, there were several challenges to Randall's will. Uh, one was by a gentleman named Stephen Brown, uh, who alleged that Randall failed as the executor of the estate of his own grandfather in New Jersey, from which he felt the Randall estate and finances had been derived. Uh, there was one, uh, also one from an Anglican bishop, John Inglis, of Nova Scotia. And he alleged that he was the proper collateral heir through his common ancestor, John Crook. So he said, I'm, you know, uh, a, a relation of Randall's and I deserve this property. So fighting over uh, parcels of luxurious real estate in uh, New York City has always been a thing. So. <laughs> even, even until today. Um, but Snug Harbor uh, started uh, a decline in terms of the number of people who lived there and who the organization cared for. Yes. In the 1930s, the establishment of Social Security really sort of helped out in general people who were facing problems that were related to aging. And uh, by the 1950s, there were only a few hundred tenants at Snug Harbor. Uh, there had previously been over a thousand. So... Uh, there was less and less a need for the specific service as they saw it, and there was more and more pressure because of certain types of development that were being considered throughout the entire city that places that were thought to be underutilized were under a, a lot of pressure from both developers in the city to move forward with different types of plans. And when were the last residents living there before it, before it closed as a, as a retirement community for uh, what old decrepit seamen? Yes, yes. The, I believe the last residents moved out in the 1960s, which is also when the institution's trustees proposed to redevelop the site with high-rise buildings. Um, in 1970, the trustees moved the institution, the original charity, to a place called Sea Level in North Carolina and sold the Staten Island site to the city of New York. So today, Randall's Trust, which is still extant as a charity, uh, no longer operates a retirement home, uh, but the trustees of the Sailor Snug Harbor in the city of New York continues its work uh, using funds from the endowment to help mariners actually all over the country. Mm. And um, before the, the property was turned over to the city uh, and, people, and uh, the owners were, th were thinking about selling it off, uh, there were several buildings that were torn down, but then uh, the Landmarks Preservation Commission sort of came to the rescue yes. and landmarked some of those buildings. During the 1960s, Which, that happened. And um, the, the major loss was the uh, the Randall Memorial Chapel, which was a Renaissance revival slash Beaux Arts building with a large dome. Uh, it was actually very handsome, and uh, it really is kind of a major loss. But the original, really remarkable uh, five-building Greek revival complex is still intact, and it is directly adjacent to one of the very few Chinese dynastic gardens in the United States, a uh, really spectacular sort of um, courthouse, uh, courtyard garden, and also um, is now uh, the uh, Staten Island um, Institute Cultural Center and Botanical Garden, Snug Harbor Cultural Center and Botanical Garden. So there's a, quite a lot of things to go out and see there. There's a contemporary arts center. Uh, there's the magnificent architecture. There's several different types of gardens that are laid out around the complex. Uh, and the walk there is actually quite nice. So you get to pass a lot of uh, very interesting Greek revival survivors of the 1830s period in Staten Island. You mean the walk from the ferry to Snug Harbor? Yes. Oh, okay. there's, there's a, there are about a half dozen major estates that still survive in some part um, adjacent to Snug Harbor, facing that, that part of the kill. 
Do you know what kind of programming there is now with the nonprofit there? The Contemporary Arts Center is very highly regarded. Um, and, you know, as I said, the Botanical Garden is very, uh, very, very significant. Uh, also on Staten Island, a, a favorite museum of mine is the Jacques Marchand uh, uh, T- uh, Tibetan Museum of Art. Uh, which is the only museum in the United States dedicated specifically to Tibetan art. So, and that's that's a, a, a quite a remarkable complex as well. Even even more so than the Rubin or uh, the Newark Museum, because the uh, Newark Museum also has a quite a, a good uh, Tibetan collection. Yes, but this is this was the uh, it was solely uh, the, the first one oh. was solely dedicated to Tibetan art. Okay. Well, in the minute we have left, let's talk about St. George uh, in the present. Uh, in recent years, there has been and there continues to be a lot of new residential development. Yes, um, uh, particularly um, in and around uh, the, the places adjacent to the harbor. And, of course, the renovation of many buildings there, including the St. George Theater, which will be uh, the next topic of discussion, and which has an absolutely magnificent interior. It's one of the, um, the, the greatest picture, palace, uh, picture palaces in uh, New York City. Mm, excellent. Well, David, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you. Uh, David is the founder and CEO of Landmark Branding, and he's also the special consultant to Rediscovering New York. Yes. Thanks so much. Good to see you. Thanks so much, Jeff. When we come back, uh, we will be speaking with our next two guests who are uh, with the St. George Theater, including one of the co-founders. Be right back. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m. we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're back. Support for Rediscovering New York comes from our sponsors. The Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage. For assistance in any kind of residential mortgage, Mark and his team can be reached at 646-330-4735. And the law offices of Thomas Siaka, specializing in trusts, estate planning, and probate administration. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. Rediscovering New York is about New York's neighborhoods and the myriad textures of our amazing city. Even though I personally work in real estate, one thing the show is not about is the business of real estate. But there's a good one. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Halstead. You can hear Vince's show on Tuesday mornings live at 9 a.m. and can be heard at voiceamerica.com. You can like us on Facebook, Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. And also follow me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Jeff Goodman NYC. 
If you have comments or questions or you'd like to get on our show's mailing list, you can email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One other note before we get to our second group of guests, when I'm not hosting the show, I am a real estate agent in our amazing city where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you would like to see how I can help you with your real estate needs, you can reach me at 646-306-4761. And of course, email me at jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. Well, we have two special guests on the second half of the show. Uh, They're with the St. George Theater. I want to talk a little bit about the president and CEO and the co-founder of the St. George Theater, Doreen Cunha. Founded in 2004 by Doreen and her mother, Rosemary Capazalo, and sister Luann Sorrentino, the St. George Theater Restoration, Inc. is a nonprofit organization dedicated to the restoration and the development of the theater as a cultural and performing arts center, not only for Staten Island, but for all of the city. It was once a thriving movie palace with almost, almost 3,000 seats, but the St. George closed and it was padlocked in the 70s. It fell into disrepair and there was a fear that it would be torn down, but Rosemary, Doreen, and Luann came to the rescue. Since its inception in 2004, from a group of volunteers, the organization has grown to a staff of eight full-time employees and get this, 100 part-time employees. How's that for a theater that was shut and almost knocked down? Doreen oversees the operations, strategic planning, programming, development, fundraising, and the multi-million dollar capital restoration projects. Last summer, they completed a $5.2 million project. Today, the St. George is a thriving 1,900-seat performing arts center that hosts an array of live entertainment and educational programming. The theater also hosts a variety of annual community events, including the self-produced St. George Theater Christmas Show. I want to go and see that. Uh, Doreen has a BA in dance with a minor in music from Point Park University. There are so many honors here. She's won many prestigious awards for saving the St. George Theater, including an induction into 13 WNET's Tri-State Advisory Board, a Community Hall of Fame in 2008, the Mayor's Arts and Cultural Award in 2013, and in 2014 was added to the role of Staten Island Advanced Women of Achievement. And also joining us is the theater's manager of marketing and audience services, Vincent Innocente. Vincent, Doreen, welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Uh, tell us a bit about your backgrounds. Doreen, what did you do before you saved this theater and, and, and started this nonprofit? Well, in 1959, my mom began uh, teaching dance. And uh, by the time I was uh, graduating from college, uh, she had two very successful studios on Staten Island. So I came back and began choreography and uh, teaching dance at the studio, eventually managing the studios with my sisters. And uh, it's so important uh, to you know, share with everyone that you know, the arts is so enriching to everyone. And, and now that we're here at the theater, uh, a goal for us, it's so important to give everyone access to the arts, to introduce all children to the arts so they could grow and love something that is so important in today's times especially. Hmm. I'm going to ask you about some of the programming a little bit later. Uh, Vincent, what was your background before you joined the theater? So I've been uh, playing the piano since I'm four years old, so I have an extensive arts and, and music performing background. Uh, I have my bachelor's and my MBA from St. John's University. Uh, while I was getting my bachelor's, I worked for uh, Snug Harbor Cultural Center for three years uh, in their business office. So I have a nonprofit cultural performing arts background uh, working at the, at the harbor. And then once I graduated uh, with my MBA, I joined the St. George Theater uh, full time. I've been with the theater about five years. 
And you're both Staten Island natives. Yes, born, born and raised. bred, raised, and yes. still living in Staten Island. Yes. Great. Yes. Uh, full disclosure, uh, uh, I have in-laws who live in Staten Island, so I <laughs> have an emotional connection to New York's fifth borough. Uh, before we talk about the nonprofit in your work, let's talk a little bit about the theater. Um, it wasn't originally built as a movie theater, was it? Movie Palace and Vaudeville. And Vaudeville, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, how long did it regularly show movies for? Was it until it, it, it was shuttered in the 70s? or? Uh, yeah, it had a great life to the 70s, mm. showing movies then. Uh, before it closed, there were artists who performed there, a little like the Apollo in Harlem, although the Apollo uh, was actually built as a burlesque house. <laughs> it was not built as a as real burlesque, as a mm-hmm. vaudeville of a certain kind. Uh, and Sly Stone, Chaka Khan, and Lester Flatt all performed there. Um, did the owners of the theater book those artists because movie-going was declining at the theater in those days? Well, they always had live entertainment uh, while it was a movie palace as well. Uh, even going back to the 30s, Al Jolson performed there, Kate Smith, the Guy Lombardo Orchestra, the Jack Teitelbaum Orchestra. Uh, Arthur Godfrey used to host War Bond shows there. Rosemary wow. was one of those, the stars of those live shows. Uh, there were uh, vaudeville shows that accompanied the movies on movie nights. Um, the Ink Spots performed there uh, when they were popular in their day. Uh, a matter of fact, Jerry Lewis, a young Jerry Lewis at 17 years old, performed at the theater. And then again when he was 90 in 2016. So that was the longest period between uh, return performances, uh, 73 years. <laughs> wow, what a history of, of art and sure. performance at the theater. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, there were several attempts to reopen the theater before you and your mom and your sister, Doreen, opened it, um, became involved. Why do you think that none of them succeeded in that? I think they attempted to open up as uh, more of a nightclub atmosphere. It was a roller rink at one time, a few rock and roll shows. But I think because they didn't have a master plan to open it as a performing arts center, something that was so important and vital for our community. So I think that's really why. And I think, you know, as a nightclub operation, it really wasn't successful. Well, it was also enormous. I mean, how do you, you know, uh, uh, pay the bills and rent the space for <laughs> 3,000 ne- seats for a neglect, nightclub? Yeah. It was neglected. It wasn't managed Was when it was, when it was shuttered, was people were afraid that it would be demolished. Was there actually a plan to demolish it? Uh, yes. And uh, the community board um, did what happened when it wasn't approved by the community board. So then the owner of the theater also owned the connecting office building and the parking lot next door. So what they did was they separated the three lots. So the theater would be a separate entity, the parking lot, what it is now, and the business, uh, office business. So at the time, um, they couldn't take that down to build condos, so they tried donating it to a nonprofit, first uh, a local college. They said no to the city of New York. They said no, thank you. It was right after 9-11. Uh, and, uh, and then they came to my mother, the developer, to ask if she would be interested. The rest is history. Yeah. Ah, excellent. Um, is the building landmarked, by the way? No, it's designated to be landmarked, though. Okay, okay, great, great. Well, great. It's going to be more harder to uh, uh, to renovate and to and to affect uh, um, Im- improvements when that happens. But that'll keep it, you know, from getting demolished forever. Um, you've referred to the St. George as being a white elephant in 2004. Um, did no one else at that point have the vision for it to be a, a cultural center for the borough and for the city? I don't think there was anyone 
interested that had the vision to bring it to fruition to a theater. Mm. I believe, you know, it, it was a monumental task. It really was. Uh, in the beginning when we tried getting loans, not one bank would give us a loan. They did not want that beautiful structure as collateral because they really didn't think it would come to fruition that we were going to save this theater. There were many attempts. You know, Brian Leyland, who's our chairman and editor of the Staten Island Advance, said many, that he always says, there's many men that made attempts. No one thought three ladies were going to save this theater in 2004. How did you raise the initial seed money for this, for this project? Uh, my mother donated the first million dollars. That got us through the first year or two. After that, we had a track record, and that's when the city of New York, the elected officials, the mayor's office, our borough president's office, started allocating money. A borough president at the time, Jim Molinaro, he allocated $1.5 million back in 2007 to help us with the beginning of the restoration. And then the rest is history. We're in... You know, we're very fortunate to have the support from the community and our elected officials that help us with the improvements. Hmm. Had you, your mom, or your sister been involved in running any nonprofits before you took on the, the monumental task of, of, of saving the St. George Theater and, and, and restoring it and bringing it back to life? No, it was running two dance studios and managing two buildings. Hmm. Uh, we learned quickly with great mentors. And the programming, of course, has been vastly increased from those beginning days till, till now. What are some of the more recent performances and educational programs that, that have taken place at the theater? So uh, just, just recently, uh, we've had the OJs, were, uh, they performed at our 89th an anniversary gala. But over the last 15 years, we've had Tony Bennett five times, Diana Ross a couple of times, Jerry Seinfeld, um, Howie Mandel, Jackson Brown, Liza Minnelli, uh, coming up, we've, we've got, just this weekend alone, Mary Wilson of the Supremes and uh, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas, and then on Sunday, Paul Anka for his fourth time. We had Ringo Starr, first time a, a Beatle has performed on Staten Island. We have really so many great and diverse uh, performances. Uh, and, Dor uh, and when you talk about educational programming, uh, Doreen and, and their mom uh, in 2005 started the Summer Outreach Program where we teach uh, 70 or so underprivileged children all about dance and theater and the performing arts and a two-week free program that's uh, funded in part by the city of, city of New York and some private funders. Mm. And we should say that, that Doreen and Luann's mom, Rosemary Capazalo, is no longer with us, uh, but her memory really lives on in the, in the cultural institution that she saved and that she built for uh, not just for Staten Island, but, but for the city. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, believe it or not, we're actually going to talk a little bit more about the neighborhood. <laughs> so uh, be right there at your device that you're listening on, and we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com We're back to Rediscovering New York and our two special guests, Doreen Cuno and Vincent Innocente from the St. George Theater. Um, do you want to uh, tell our listeners where they can find out about, about St. George programming and if they're interested potentially in becoming involved either as volunteers or uh, possibly even donating to the organization? Sure. So if you check out our website, stgeorgetheater.com, that's stgeorgetheater.com. It's got everything from our history and our mission to our upcoming shows, how to get involved. And also on that website is a link to uh, a video uh, we were just featured on Channel 13 in the Treasures of New York series. It was a documentary done on the St. George Theater redevelopment, the history, how it uh, was um, slated for demolition and saved by Doreen and her family, and uh, really what we are now and, and what is to come. Hmm. And uh, there's an Emmy nomination in there somewhere, isn't there, you were saying? Sure, yep. Uh. The, uh, the series was, uh, this, this past Saturday, we were nominated for a New York Emmy. Ah. Oh. Great. Well, good luck. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> I've been nominated for an award or two in my uh, uh, travels. It didn't win, but just, you know, just making it onto the sure, nomination the stage is, is, is really good. Um, let's talk about the neighborhood for a moment, both the you know, immediate neighborhood around Hyatt Street and also St. George in general. Uh, Doreen, you once referred to the area of St. George around Hyatt Street as being a ghost town right before you opened the theater. Uh, has that part of St. George changed since since the theater was reopened? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the theater, the whole St. George area um, was definitely in disrepair. I think it was neglected for many years. That has changed, I think, in the beginning of uh, 2000, really. Since we took over, we've seen a real renaissance. And uh, the North Shore development down the block from us is booming. We have the Empire Outlets opening up. Uh, as of next week, we're really excited about. Uh, yeah, do you want to talk for a minute about the Atlas? Because that's that's going to be another, I, th I think, real uh, uh, attraction to get off the ferry and to go, you know, in New York, you know, and, and to go to outlets right there. It's connect practically connected to the ferry. So you take the ferry, you walk down a staircase, and there you there you are with these beautiful outlet outlets. I recently had a private tour. It really is magnificent with the shops that are going to be there, the the retail stores, and the restaurants and lounges. It almost reminds me of the South Street Seaport and Pier 17 in the 80s and 90s, which I thought was such a great swanky place to hang out. You know, so I'm hoping that happens. And uh, May 15th is the grand opening, so please stop by. Oh, that's uh, on Wednesday. Wednesday, yes. Yes, okay, yes. okay. <clears throat> I'm actually going to be going to... Uh, uh, a dress rehearsal at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. There's an opera there about uh, 
I forgot the name of it, but it's actually about this uh, uh, Japanese woman novelist from like the year 1100. There's, a, there's okay. an exhibition about her. I, I, so I'm sorry, I can't. I already have it's a ticket okay. to see anything else, but I will, I will get to <laughs> see excused. it. You're <laughs> excused. Um, describe the vibe of the neighborhood. What do you like about St. George? I mean, your, your, your baby is there, but, but, but what is it about, aside from your institution and your theater, that you really like about, about St. George? I think it's a spectacular area. I think the location is ideal. The view, just about from whatever block, or like you said, there's hills there, you could see the beautiful skyline and, and the water. So I love the location. I think it's spectacular. The building, the houses, uh, they're, they're getting the attention they need to refurbish them and restore them. And the area really is changing for the better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could live, work, and hang out and have a great time in this area. And two years from now, it's going to be, th- you'll see that quantum leap that's mm, so well-deserved, right. too. Now, picking up on this and asking you a kind of a little pointed question, what do you feel makes St. George unique that other neighborhoods don't have, other neighborhoods on Staten Island, other neighborhoods around the city? The diversity, the energy, the, culture. the enthusiasm, <laughs> the culture, yeah. And of course, as you said, the the vistas walking down those blocks. It, to to me, it's a little reminiscent of San Francisco. Except in San Francisco, you don't get to view. <laughs> You're in the city, but in in St. George, you actually see across the harbor right. to New York. In Staten Island, you really have the best of both. You know, you have the the rural, you have the suburban, you have uh, that city feel, but you're not right in the heart of of Manhattan. You're you're away. Where we are, it's our own little city. We have that small town feel still. So you you can people move to Staten Island for that alternative. Mm. What parts of Staten Island do you live in? I know uh, you live in Dongan Hills. I, I did yeah. when I first uh, was married close to 30 years ago. I live in uh, Sunnyside right now. Oh, okay. I love it. Yeah. And I'm in the West Brighton area. Oh, okay. So yeah. you're not far from St. George then? Not far. I'm about an eight-minute drive. Me uh-huh. too. Dorian, yeah. about the same. Okay. Is there anything that surprises either of you about, about the neighborhood, about St. George? I know I told you I asked a little pointed questions on, on my show. Yeah. <laughs> It takes a lot to surprise me. Nothing surprises me. Uh. Vincent, do you? What surprises me most is how many people still have not yet been there. You know, we we do have people that come. Uh, our our ticket buyers come from you know really all over the place. We're about sixty percent from Staten Island, uh, but we do draw a large number. That's forty percent off island. Uh, you could do the math. Uh, about ten percent from Brooklyn, from ten uh, percent from New Jersey. About five percent come over on the ferry. Um, and I love when people come to the theater for the first time. They walk through the doors and they look up and they look at that spectacular architecture. They're like, wow, I didn't know this existed. So, you know, for everyone that we're reaching and all the people that are coming, there's still that many more who still should discover St. George Theater and the St. George area in general because it really is, again, it's a, it's a great happening neighborhood. It's really on the up and up. Uh, there's a lot of great restaurants. And uh, now with the outlets opening, a lot of great shopping. There are great museums. The Staten Island Yankees are a few blocks away from us. That's the farm team uh, for yeah, the Yankees. Single A. Oh. And again, that stadium has the view of the skyline. You know, it, it had the view of the towers when it opened. But now it's got the view of the, of the uh, now One World Trade Center. It's, it's really a, a great area. And it's just coming up and, and uh, improving you know, by, the, by the day. Well, you're a little bit of a mind reader, Vincent, because I was going to ask you where, where most of the attendees of the theater's programming come from. And I have to share, um, when I was in the, the St. George Theater, I went to see a movie, a documentary, and I walked into this theater and I looked up and went and thought, oh, my God, what a, what a jewel, what a gem. 
And I suppose uh, the flip side about um, St. George and that part of St. George having fallen on hard times is it did keep uh, uh, the real estate values low where uh, the theater was safe from the wrecking ball for such a long time before for the angels who rescued it uh, and uh, fixed it up for all eternity were able to do it. Um, is there anything that you struggle with uh, in St. George now? The perception for some people. I think, uh, you know, the perception should have changed by now. I think some people, you know, many years ago, people f- would say, is it safe to drive down? You know, I, I, I hear that a little bit sometimes, but I think the perception should change. It should vanish. It's such a great place to visit. Uh, to me, there are no worries uh, coming down to St. George. Right. I think that. What do you think, Vincent? Yeah, well, I mean, well, we're in an area right across the street from us is the major courthouse on Staten Island, and the local precinct is a few blocks away. Mm-hmm. So it really is very, very safe as compared to maybe how it was decades ago. Uh, but with the, the nightlife, with the restaurants, the bars, the, the culture here, um, it has changed. You know, there are still some people who may remember the way it was, and they, you know, it, all, all it takes is one visit to know how easy it is to get there, how easy it is to park, uh, how convenient everything is walkable, uh, that well-lit, w- that well lit, especially safe. now um, we've had so many renovation projects. Our most recent one was our brand new marquee that was uh, erected last year. So that is an LED marquee. Uh, it says St. George Theater in the old-fashioned light bulbs. The artwork changes every 10 seconds. Oh, wow. And that really illuminates the block like it didn't before. Well, I haven't seen you. The next time I take the ferry off, I'll have to traipse up the hill. <laughs> to you have an open invitation. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anything that you wish was in the neighborhood but is not there? Or any other uh, kinds of businesses that you would like to see open in St. George but that aren't, aren't there now? I think more restaurants, more shops. I mean, it's happening. It's not like it's not happening. That's what I think. And getting more visitors. Right. And with, you know... One thing is the the retail and the outlets are opening next week, so that's that's a major uh, that, that's a major uh, landmark that's going to be opening, and it'll just help to tie the whole neighborhood together. Mm. The, uh, more housing uh, brings more people to the area, more more neighbors to frequent our shows and frequent the restaurants, and just keep spreading the word about the theater and about the neighborhood. I would say in the past five years, uh, the high rises along the waterfront have been. Uh, Redeveloped, open, so you have the Irby, you have the Accolades, really nice uh, places to live here. Kind of a last question. If, if someone was interested in opening up a business in St. George, what kind of advice might you have for them? Perseverance. Mm-hmm. Vincent? <laughs> yep. Stick, uh, stick it out. You know, you, you, we, we've heard so long about the potential of the neighborhood and, uh, you know, what it's going to be like. You know, a couple more years, it'll be the, you know, the, the next Williamsburg, the next whatever. You know, stick it out. Uh, open a restaurant. Uh, on a show night, uh, there's, you know, there are maybe uh, 10 restaurants in walking distance, and they're all full. Ah. Uh, one last quick question. Uh, what is the St. George Christmas show like? Uh, Doreen, that's yours. Began in 2004. My mother was. My mother said, "We have to open up, uh, have a great holiday show for Staten Islanders, affordable." So it began with about 50 folks in the show. It's now 150 uh, volunteer cast. It's a variety show from dancing and singing and acting, and it certainly puts everyone in the holiday mood. And it's a great alternative from coming into Manhattan for many families. Oh. 
Well, I'm actually going to have to leave Manhattan on the ferry and go see the Christmas show next time it's around. Yes. We've been speaking with Vincent Innocente, uh, manager of marketing and audience services at the St. George Theater, and one of the founders, Doreen Cunha. Thank you so much for visiting Rediscovering New York. Thank you for having us. Thank if, you. My pleasure. If you have comments or questions about the show or if you'd like to get on the show's mailing list, you can email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can also like us on Facebook, and you can follow me on Instagram, Jeff Goodman NYC. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage, and the law offices of Thomas Siaka, specializing in trusts, estate planning, and probate administration. And don't forget, when I'm not hosting this show, I'm a real estate agent at Halstead, and whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide our clients with the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. You can reach me at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier, who is recovering from a broken arm. He's also my husband. I hope he feels better. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding, who was the first guest on the show tonight. Stay tuned for At Home with David Thiergartner, coming up next at 8 p.m. right here on talkradio.nyc. And at 9 p.m., Beyond Potential, Living Life Your Way with my friend Noreen Sumter. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. The best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.